NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Great Cricketer on the Diamantina Podcast Network, the Batuta Advocates' very own podcast network. That's not an associate of Fox Sports. Keep that in mind in case you are reading any articles out there on the internet. <laughs> Big show today, but before we get into that, I just want to remind everyone that we are available to MC your event, whether it's at your club, a fundraiser, or if your business needs comedic material with material source after the year of 1975, then hit us up. Uh, Sam lives in Melbourne. Dave and Ian live in Sydney. Um, we're available. I also want to remind you that there is a live show in Sydney at the Comedy Store on January 3. Tickets are 40 bucks. You can go on the internet because you're proficient at using the internet in 2018, a year after the year of 1975. And we're also in the works at the moment for travelling around the country and doing live shows based around the test matches. That's TBC, though, um, for TGC because um, we're still doing a whole bunch of work to get a whole... Other bunch of work up for the summer. So, lads, big show. Jason Gillespie's on. Adam Collins on a little bit later as well. Uh, Sam Perry and Dave Edwards are with me. My name's Ian Higgins. Don't know if I've already said that. <laughs> Welcome, lads. Oh, here goes. <laughs> so much forward announcing. Wild. These guys have sold out hard. TGC. Yeah. There's probably a couple of clips coming out from uh, Cricket Australia as well. We're everywhere. Uh, but, you know, we need to pay the rent, so back off. Um he goes, Dave, It's it, this is familiar territory this week. Last week was difficult because Australia, mm. you know, made history. Usman Khawaja made history. Um, but yep. now we're on safer ground again because we, we've made history, but of a different type, the fourth largest loss in our test history. Um, we had one in the top four about 12 months ago as well or somewhere in the last 12 months. Right. There's recriminations. I wouldn't call it full-blown crisis yet. The reason I'd say that is because, like, is it not the case that this might be forgotten in a couple of weeks' time? We're just going to start to head into kind of shield bat-off territory, aren't we? <laughs> and I just hear that uh, phrase in context. And, uh, and just uh, talking think, about how good India's yeah. going to be. Yeah, look, I think you're right there with the news cycle. And good, and good to be with you guys, as it always is every week. Um, I can't believe that one incongruous partnership on day five wasn't the solution to all our problems. Mm. And it really was incongruous <laughs> when you think that we lost 10 for 60 in, in the first test. Mm. Um, but we were in raptures, weren't we, over the grit and determination, well, the grit and determination that two blokes showed. Mm. And this was surely a sign that everything had changed, that Justin Langer was our saviour and God, mm. and the beta era was here to stay. Mm. But now, recriminations, mm. news cycles, I'm not really sure where to proceed um, from here on in. Is anyone? Well, that, that massive innings that Kawaja paid was essentially um, the, the advertisement that you see on certain websites in the dark corners of the internet, which is just one weird trick <laughs> to get six-pack abs. That's what it was when Kawaja was just... Doctors <laughs> what, hate what his innings was. <laughs> <laughs> why did doctors hate him? What's the weird trick? How do I get more inches? <laughs> yeah. Kawaja's innings was amazing, but no, it didn't solve any of our problems. There's still you know, huge issues in Canberra. Let's not mm. forget about that. Never. <laughs> yeah, um, but now, now Usman Kawaja's injured as well. So um, now he was so good 
he had to not play for a little bit, um, probably thus saving Sean Marsh's career, at least for a little bit longer anyway. Um, Pez, you've had, you've had the same injury as Usman Khawaja has suffered, some sort of torn mm. meniscus. Uh, you were you, you you sort of never recovered. You were never the same player I've after. Said, yeah, I've, I've always said that. Uh, yeah, I was turning for a second run playing third grade at St Kilda in 2011, uh, and uh, I was on 42 at the time. And um, <laughs> and I tore my meniscus, and I still remember telling my dad, and he and he was like, "You've done a major knee injury playing." like batting in cricket, and he, he asked me, because I'm obviously from Sydney and I've been living in Melbourne, he said, are you unfit at the moment? That was the, uh, that's what he said. Um, but yeah, I didn't run for six months, but I'm, I'm sure Usman, um, who has dropped seven kilos lately, uh, if you haven't read any of the news, mm, yes, uh, related. Mm. papers of late, but uh, he's dropped seven kilos, <laughs> so he should be in a better position than I was at that time to recover. So apparently, you, can, you know, the meniscus can be like either mm. really bad and you can be out for a very long time, or you can mm. kind of mm. get yourself back in a couple of months' mm. time. We'll be needing him back because he's pretty much the only guy that you would say uh, is warranting a spot in our batting lineup. Well, I don't know if you guys saw this during the week. He goes, sorry to jump in there, but one guy who has been mm. having a crack at naming the ideal Australian eleven is Shane Warne. And we're obviously, you know, knocking mm. our heads together trying to think about what that eleven looks like. Mm. And he's had three cracks at it on Twitter um, in the space of a couple of days, actually. And I was quite interested in all three of his lineups. And if you'll indulge me, I might just go through them and maybe get some reactions to it. So first mm. go. Finch, Captain, short, as in Darcy Short. He hates pain, Baja. Sean Marsh, yeah, Stoinis, yeah. Carey, so no pain. Agar, Cummins, mm. Stark, Lyon, Hazelwood. So key takeaways here. Finch is captain. Pain dropped mm. entirely and Couple replaces spinners. Carey. Yep. Mm. Uh, Agar in. Mm. Stoinis, sorry, for Mitch Marsh, the sitting VC. No, uh, no love of Shane, so obviously doesn't rate him and no head. He then had another crack later the same day. So the same mm. days went, nut. going to go back to my device and, and have another go at this. <laughs> so his next 11 was Finch, still captain. Renshaw. Quaja, Head, Maxwell, Payne, back in as wicketkeeper, no longer captain. Stoinis, Cummins, Stark, Lyon, Hazelwood. So he's dumped Agar in the space of 24 hours and brought in Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> then, I don't know what Agar did. Agar was in, then he was out, and he didn't do anything during that 24-hour period. So then after a careful <laughs> few days of deliberation, he came back to his device again mm. and had one final crack at what he described as the certainties for the first test back in Australia. So this is in batting order. Finch? Short. Numbers three, four, and five are blank. He just has not selected a middle order. <laughs> Payne at six, so elevated. Um, Stoinis, has, he's been in all three teams, Stoinis. Cummins, Stark, Lyon, and Hazelwood. So he hasn't got a captain. He's left out the entire middle mm. order. No Maxwell, no head, no marshes. What's going on here? <laughs> Warney's answer is rigs, salad, and aggression. Oh, it, it's fantastic. I mean, like... We can put this in context because Warren's obviously promoting a book at the moment and um, he's come up with some wonderful communications mm. initiatives to do so. But I can only venture that, uh, you know, as we know, Shane Warren essentially picks these hypothetical sides based on who his friends are at that time, uh, at that moment in time, or if you bowl 140 <laughs> plus. Uh, and clearly yeah. he's fallen out with Agar at some point in those 24 hours. I wouldn't imagine they'd talk because it's probably sort of 30 years between them. So he's fallen out with Agar. Um, Payne's obviously done mm. something to get back in the side. Uh, and yep. um, and then he's probably just you know lost his attention, worn, and, and want to think about something else. I, I saw on Instagram <laughs> that um, he he said he'd met somebody at the MCG that he wanted to introduce us to, and uh, it was this wonderful panorama video of the MCG before he started talking to his own statue, uh, about <laughs> 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 which was funny, and it is funny in Warren's own way. And then, it, but then it just kind of. Um, and then it just went into some kind of it's earnest comment just... about what it, what it meant to be, you know, <laughs> in statute, I guess, at the MCG. I think it's all great stuff. And obviously, Warren uh, and uh, your publicist, if you are listening, I'm sorry if I've emailed three or four times about coming on this show. haven't had a response yet, but, um, you know, we all played great cricket. You did too. I was at St Kilda. And if you are listening, you know, there's a fair few people listening to this show. Please come on. I would have thought what's happened is that um, Ashton Agar um, saw... Uh, Shane Warne's Instagram photo and just scroll it, didn't like it. So that's what the that's what the gap in his selection was for those yeah. two squads. Double, if I had like, to guess. So liked it and then unliked it. <laughs> and Warney saw that every yeah, time yeah. and decided to unselect yeah. him. Yeah, Warne saw that he was online and he hadn't immediately liked the photo. So he thought, what's going on here? <laughs> Wouldn't have thought so. Picked Dutchie Holland again. Um, 
Sean Marsh is someone who who uh, really gets people angry, especially on the internet. Um, Mitch Marsh probably even mm. more so. Um, Sean Marsh is is you know how well is he going, boys? <laughs> you know, um, it, George Bailey said today um, that he suspects that there's not going to be mm. a lot of changes for the first Test match. Mm. Um, and then we will come on to what's happening in the Shield at the moment, which is just the, the yearly bat-off, as mm. you were saying before, Sam. Um, but Sean Marsh, is his career over? He is 35 years old. Sam, you're probably in the best position to ask this, answer this. Uh, I, in short, no. And I know it's really, like, it's really tempting to like package up the Marshes together and to poke fun of them, and, and there's kind of good reason to do it, I suppose, because you know, there's been more than a hint of nepotism when it comes to their selection. There, there's been more than a hint that, you know, they just look really good. Mm-hmm. They're sort of from the right stock, as uh, Cricket Australia sort of intimated a few months ago. And they also <laughs> seem to survive when they fail wildly mm-hmm. for a long period of time. So yes, I think they kind, of, um, they kind of earn a little bit of that sledging. But then people also forget that, like, you know, Sean Marsh kind of you know, went a long way to winning Australia the Ashes uh, over here in Australia. And mm. Mitch Marsh did really well too. And like, uh, like, is it not is it's not the most depressing part of it that like there are just guys through the Australian system that just play rather well at home and really kind of suck away from home. They're like two different players. Like so, so Sean and Mitch Marsh are probably in the top six of an Australian side at home. Are they not? I think Pez, like you raise a really good question there like a bigger question for mine is that like if you don't get runs away then should you even be allowed to play at home like one mm. thing that scares me deeply is the prospect of home and away specialists <laughs> like i'm yeah. a pretty open-minded guy like i believe yes. you know that climate change is the biggest existential crisis of our lifetime yes but different teams for different <laughs> clients like i'm i'm still only getting used to being separate odi and two twenty yeah. squads <laughs> <laughs> and different captains and stuff yeah so weird mm. Oh, I'm still getting over Ricky Ponting becoming the ODI captain and Steve Waugh test yeah. captain. Yeah. Still getting over That's because life stopped in 2002, <laughs> but anyway, it's a separate issue for the councillor. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, Edos, I want to put it to you. I mean, have you seen Sean Marsh in better nick at the moment? Like, his rig is actually looking absolutely fantastic. Like, he hasn't been spent any time hitting balls. He's just been just chest and pipes. His shirt is looking absolutely terrific. When he nicks off... Does a player look better? Or when he got cleaned up by that left arm opener from Pakistan, just, you know, great see, but didn't he look good? His forearms glistening in the sunlight of Dubai. You know, just absolutely supreme. <laughs> Mate, uh, you're, you're, you're not wrong there. And uh, Is it that his rig's gotten better or is it the apparel is now hugging his body better? Like, I'm wondering whether this is to, good question. to do with that. Good than, question. Than other. Can you have one without question. the other? It's a good question. Hence the, the role of the fitness model on Instagram. Um, Manus Lavo Shane was involved in a rather confusing run-out situation. Pez, you've got the quotes there from Justin Langer. Can you read them out for us? Yeah, I, I can. I thought, yeah, Langer's had some really interesting quotes lately. And, and as I do say this, um, I, I would like to welcome my son in the background who's laughing a lot of stuff. I can assure all <laughs> listeners that it's not at me or, or us because I've got earphones in. But... Um, you know, like like I said, get us to your shows around Australia and I'll be able to afford a place that um, maybe means I can go in a separate room. Anyway, Langer <clears throat> said... This is, what Langer, this is what Langer said. And I think... I've got a feeling Langer's going to be uh, really good for a quote. Um, he said... He was talking about Finch playing well, and he said, I thought Marnus played particularly well in this innings. He had a brain fade in the first innings. You've never seen anything like it. Two in two days. I've seen some stuff on the cricket field, but I've never seen that ever. And Marnus knows... So I'm not burning him, but it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life until what happened yesterday. <laughs> of course, yesterday he was referring to, well, yesterday he was referring to the Pakistan run out, which happened the day after. So basically he saw the dumbest thing in his life, his whole life. You imagine how many dumb things he's seen, like he played with more. And then, um, and then the Pakistan run out, which is also worth, worth talking about as well, because that was awesome. <laughs> Kind of gets me thinking about what the dumbest thing, you know, like you know, when you're crossing the road and like you press the pedestrian yeah. button and then you stand there and you'll be standing next to it waiting mm. to cross the road and then someone will immediately come up to behind you and then press the button in case you forgot mm. to do it yourself. Yeah. No, that's, that's not dumb. dumb, that's OCD. But apparently, just not Langer, as dumb as lifting your bat this... and not putting it in your pants. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> <laughs> no one trusts you less 
than the person who comes after you at the pedestrian light. Um, so let's can we talk about the run out as well? Like the the, the Pakistani runner Azhar yeah. Ali uh, just involved in one of the weirdest situations ever. Although it has happened before, um, it did happen uh, in England at the Oval. I can't think of the yeah. year, but uh, it would have been twenty ten ish, something like that. And and Ian Bell mm. on the stroke of T did almost exactly the same thing. He was playing against India. Just standing in the middle of the crease, Indians run him out. And then basically what happened was England complained and they complained <laughs> and they whinged and they whinged. Hello, England. And then what they did was they basically made um, Dhoni, uh, you know, call Ian Bell back, who then scored about 160 not out. So yeah. um, I thought Australia were good blokes, though. Why, why didn't we call him back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it was, it was interesting. I mean, there was an article in The Australian about this written by Will Swanton that got, like, roundly panned. Um, sorry about the theme of panning News Limited articles um, from all from all M's, uh, lenses <laughs> at the moment. There's no coincidence. But um, there was an article from him panning it saying, you know, if Australia, it was a great opportunity for Australia to um, demonstrate their newfound, uh, like, I, was, I cut the only word in my head is beta, and I've got to get that out of my head. But yeah, their, their newfound um, spirit of cricket credentials. There was something really excellent about the way Tim Payne took the bails and like gleefully ran off. Though he had, <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. no question. Yeah, in his he got mind away with it. Murder. That was out, and he's yeah. right. It was yeah. out because like diligence yeah. and paying yeah. attention is part of a skill in cricket as well. Yeah. Um, that's in, it's entirely Pakistan's mm. fault, and and I would have been gleeful if I was him. But there still was as much as Payne is like um. Um, you know, carries himself with far more gravitas uh, than perhaps some previous leaders have. He, he, you know, the, you, you can take the boy out of um, Australian cricket, you know, but you can't take it out of the boy. Like, it was all written all through him. If Payne had not run him out, like, if we think about what hap- would happen then, I think that would have been just the end of cricket. Yeah. And certainly Australian cricket yeah. as we know it. Because it would have been the moment the Australian cricket team just jumped the shark. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that he took the bails mm. off gleefully because it's a small glimpse that there is some life and a little bit of aggression left in us. There's just like, I'd love to get like a, like a back-to-back video because there was a run out in the first test, um, which was much closer. And you have to forgive me because I can't think who ran out, who, who, who the run out was um, uh, um, by. But Payne basically caught the ball. It was a much closer situation. Went to the third umpire, but it was like catch stumps. Yeah. And then it was like the exact <laughs> same thing, but, but two blokes standing in the middle of the pitch. And if you just go back to back, that's yeah. sort of gleeful. Like yeah. it also might be a good time. Pez, we were talking a little while ago about how different countries appeal yeah. Yeah. and like, um, you know, Australians just seem just to yell. Like you get to the yeah. point where you just, it's not even, a, you don't announce yet anything. Yell. It's just, yeah. ah, whereas like subcontinental, players they seem to have very short like short, it's more of a yapping sort of like ah, yeah ah, and it's ah, like um, yeah, it's like they're sort of yeah. being um scolded with boiling water and i think it works much better <laughs> I, like i say that as a compliment but it's well, it's more it's, it's more intention it's more it? like it's going to frighten the umpire ah, yeah. ah, ah, ah. like you know save yeah. me please <laughs> like, mm. You don't know where the next R is coming from when it's all kind of in synchronicity mm. and it's like a chorus, a beautiful chorus rising up to, you know, to a crescendo. Whereas, yeah, I'm, I'm much more frightened by subcontinental appeals and I've always said that. I, um, I also think it's not only is it more intense and likely to frighten the umpire into a dismissal, but um, I also think it's smarter because I don't know about you, but on many occasions, like I've appealed from say point or cover or something and you know under the guise of you know showing intensity have yelled so loudly i've lost any kind of sense of whether anyone else is appealing as well and i'm sure you guys have been the same and then finally when your appeal kind of dims down do you look around and see that everyone's just staring at you because nobody else has been yelling (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's right for some reason then you wake up in a pool of your own sweat um, the, the thing with like Australian appeals, like you often get like the the elongated the, ah, and then pause, breath, ah, fuck, yeah, yeah. you know, just yeah. just completely incongruous, yeah. just anger. Well, the point of the uh, long yourself, drawn out appeal is because then you're you're hoping that there will be it will be upheld at the end of it, and then you can just seamlessly merge that into the yeah. 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 So it's like one Good long soundbite, <laughs> yeah, as opposed yeah. to being broken up, you know, by different soundbites. Yeah, that is one that is one of the upsides of the Aussie. Or like, let's call it the Anglo appeal. Um, is the hazard? Yeah, mm. I think it's gonna be a lot more yeah. symmetrical. Nutrigrain ad. Yeah, mm. yeah. 
and then you get a few like, yeah. woo, with that kind of that kind of really classy stuff as well. Um, but one man who was endlessly appealing in this test match was um, the greatest bowler that the world's ever seen, Muhammad Abbas. Um, Edo's Mark War um, criti- uh, criticised uh, Abbas early on. To saying, well, he was actually criticising Australian batsmen, saying, I don't know how they're managing to get out this bloke. He looks rubbish. Um, Did he say that? That's probably, that's probably because he doesn't bowl 150 k's an hour and he wasn't bumping people. He yeah. was just bowling seam up at the stumps and he was nibbling it. Yeah. yeah, He was nibbling it, wasn't he? And that word got used a lot, just mm. nibble, little nibbles. Still like 130 of Come on, it's <laughs> a bit more than nibble. Mm. I mean, the ball that got pain was just... The perfect example of you know what Damien Fleming would call the corridor of uncertainty. Mm. You know he just bowled areas, <laughs> areas, line and length, all test long, all series mm. long. I mean, in reality, he's mm. like a twenty-eight-year-old normcore medium pacer. Like, there's nothing marketable about that in twenty eighteen. <laughs> I mean, normcore marketing departments <laughs> probably look at like three things when they're looking at athlete sponsorships. They look at kilometres per hour, they look at salads, and they look at personality. And you look at Pat Cummins, who has the trifecta. Mm. Brands clamour to mm. be associated with Triple that kind of image, but mm. Mohamed Abbas goes against everything that makes commercial sense in 2018. Mm. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm curious to you guys, like, what grade would uh, Mohamed Abbas play? Mm. He legitimately would be a second grader. Um, because he's quick <laughs> enough to play second grade, <laughs> as if that's a compliment. No, he's quick enough to play second grade. He might grade. say ones and twos. He just, he just rolled the Australia. Possibles versus probable trials yeah, in first grade. Threes. Exactly, yeah. exactly, Pez, yeah. Um, he's literally got 60 test wickets mm-hmm. after 10 test matches, which is only bettered ever in the history of the game by um, a person who does exactly the same thing, more or less, in uh, Vernon Philander. But he goes, um, like... But, yeah, no bounces. Don't in. you think that, like, this is an example of other countries embracing beta cricket, as we're calling it? You know, this is the country that bought us mm. Wazim and Wakar. Like, the country is literally teeming with left-arm quicks that bowl 140-plus. I mean, that's according to census mm. data. So they've just brought in this guy who's just bowling nibblers and taking wickets. We should start doing that. All right. Well, um, in the interest of time, um, we've, we've, left out, we've left out other parts of the show. Um, Will Pekofsky, friend of the show, he's been on the show, in fact, smashed 243 against WA. Therefore, he will captain Australia in the next Test match. Um, but no, to be serious. Um, Will, That's what I think down here in Melbourne. Um, the West Indies are getting absolutely pumped by the greatest one-day team ever. Coley's just hit 140 off 107 balls. Wembley ever stop scoring runs. And also, we should also shout out as well to Elise Perry, also a friend of the show. Just everyone's mm. a friend of the show, more or less, um, who's just gone past 100 ODIs uh, for Australia. And that makes her the sixth most capped uh, women's female international uh, in Australian history. Go Pez. Adam Collins is coming up. And then Jason Gillespie. And then... Hashtag AskTGC. I don't play cricket for results. I don't come to take wickets, score runs, or win games. I play cricket to look good. Rigs, chests, pipes, circuits, salads. This is my domain. So when I hit the sheds... I need to radiate success. That's why I use Chop King Cologne by TGC. With a blend of the finest handcrafted English willow and Kookaburra Red King leather, Chop King Cologne lets me radiate cricket. Whatever the ground, whatever the circuit. Chop King Cologne. The new fragrance for men by TGC. Reek of runs without hitting them. Well, it's our, our absolute pleasure to introduce a great friend of the show, Adam Collo Collins. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous doing this because the last few times we've spoken, we've done it as friends. We've done it as journo uh, <laughs> colleagues, um, although Collo's achieved a lot in the game. Um, but now we're talking to a media mogul, um, a rights package purchaser, uh, somebody who's actually broadcast the game off his own coin um, to the rest of us, and so uh, you know, given you know male hierarchies and the way they exist, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm a little bit lost for words. Um, we are introducing to the show Adam Collins, who's just returned to London uh, from Dubai and Abu Dhabi, the UAE. Uh, Colo, welcome to the show. G'day, choppers. Yeah, uh, all of those things are vaguely true, um, but I, I would hasten to it. Uh, I could never do this in a test series that wasn't played in the UAE between Australia and Pakistan that no 
one was going to buy anyway. So um, that certainly meant that I had a distinct advantage as the, as the only potential buyer. But you know, no, it was it was a great thing to have a pop at, and uh, and we're proud of what we did. I guess. How, yeah. how does a rights transaction take place from like a private entity like yourself? Like, how did it actually go about the transaction? Um, well, I gave them two credit cards, and they took <laughs> half the money off each. Quite quite seriously. Yeah, it was like. Can, just slap it on the Amex for you guys. Oh, you don't take Amex? Fucking hell, why don't you take Amex for us? 2018. <laughs> what do you mean you get charged next? No. Uh, um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, was, um, it, was that, it was that straightforward. I mean, there was some negotiations that went back and forth for a few weeks uh, when we were trying to land a figure. I had a vague idea what they were worth uh, from having gone down this avenue before, but then uh, they um, were pretty keen for us to also broadcast it on the Pakistan Cricket Board's website. And I think that was where um, everything came together quite nicely. So, yeah, we did it for wisdom.com. Uh, that was the main uh, broadcast partner. And then that's new territory, I suppose you'd say, because we've seen Guerrilla Cricket, one of the alternative cricket comedy groups, buy the rights for the Ireland series when Ireland played Pakistan earlier in the year. But as far as a, a website doing it in a more traditional way and buying the rights and going through the formal process, no one's done that before. Well, I think actually someone did do it. I think Mick Jagger, this is really weird. Thing to say, but I think Mick Jagger bought the cricket rights, the audio rights for Cricket Info in 1998. Um, so there is a precedent there where a website has had the rights um, through, through yeah, through literally Mick Jagger. But um, as far as in um, what cricket commentary in the modern era, as we know it, um, we were able to do something new, and uh, and I, I think it works. The Cricket Australia also had the feed on their website, so it was on the app and the website and all the rest of it. And certainly when the the draw was on in Dubai in that final session, um, we felt like there was not just a lot of people listening, but a lot of people really engaged with what we were talking about. And yeah, we were, we were privileged to be on the on the call for that for that draw because it was a fairly memorable moment. If they did capitulate the week after, <laughs> we, we probably should have outlined this from the start for those who aren't uh, across it. Colo purchased the rights to do the radio broadcast of Australia versus Pakistan in the UAE, uh, and he did it through Wisdom.com and also the Cricket Australia website and the. Um, the commentary itself was excellent. You know, we otherwise wouldn't have been able to hear it through the radio or unless you had subscription television. Um, Colo, how did you find broadcasting it? I mean, you're, you know, you'd have to be pretty close to, you know, there's a couple of journos patting each other on the back here, but you'd have to be close to one of the next cabs off the rank as a commentator that we hear every summer. But it must have been satisfying to be able to sit there, not have to worry about a rotor too much and just um, call to your heart's content, you know, test cricket. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, look, as a freelancer, we do a lot of different things in the cricket media landscape, but there's nothing that really compares to calling Test cricket. I've been pretty lucky to call the Australian team, I think, in eight countries now. So I've had a good, you know, great opportunity to, to sample different types of calling. But running our own broadcast was, uh, you know, so much fun. Uh, we had some great, great people along for the ride. Jeff Lemon, who I work with, uh, who um, has been on this journey with me for a while. We often refer to each other as our platonic life partners um that's the most beta thing of all time isn't it um yes uh, we, we um we called it we, but we had we had brendan julian uh you know the, the adonis that is brendan julian sitting to our left for most of the show and then we had mike hussey um joining us as well who's absolutely brilliant as a radio broadcaster um Bazid khan who used to play for pakistan and his uncle is imran khan so um he had a lot of uh, interesting insight about pakistan more generally uh, and then uh, people like peter lawler and louis cameron journalists who you've had on the show before were, were brilliant as well. So we, yeah, we had a good cross section of people had a lot of fun. It was definitely the right series to have a crack at um, after everything that happened in South Africa. There was a lot of interest in it. And when we realized there wasn't going to be a radio broadcast from any of the, the major networks that for a, a range of editorial and, and budget reasons that it wasn't going to happen from one of the, the broadcasters that, that did it in South Africa or, or traditionally have gone abroad, it, it made sense to have a crack. And uh, yeah, we're, we're thrilled that we did. Colo, a lot of um, a lot of our listeners won't have been um, to the grounds in the UAE, and judging by the attendances, uh, a lot of the people in the UAE have not been to those grounds either. Um, Alan Border on commentary, I yeah. think, uh, was saying that uh, last time he was there, it's actually been a built it round round the ground itself has actually been built up a lot, which surprised me because I couldn't see anything except fucking desert, um, except for one vague sort of mosque about 400 <laughs> kilometres in the background. Um, it looks like a really grim place around the grounds, mate. Thoughts? Is it? Yeah, yeah, uh, it is. So, 
Um, the, the two grounds around Dubai, there is a lot of construction. Uh, a lot of the construction hasn't moved for some years either. So the, the same cranes that were up the last time Australia played there are still there now. So draw your own conclusions there. Um, in Abu Dhabi, it's like a scene from Breaking Bad. Uh, you, 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 you get uh, about three kilometres from the ground and you see that big sail, which is the, the southern end's grandstand. That's all you can see for miles on end. So you're expecting to see, yes, yeah, some, some meth mm. being um, made in the background. But no, it, it, was, um, it, was a very, it was a very strange place to watch cricket. And, I, and you know, I should, I should say that semi-serious, I mean, I'm not too serious on the show, but it's worth noting why uh, people aren't able to come out and access these games. The UAE is a very interesting place. I can say this now as someone who's left the country and I'm, I'm in no chance of being arrested or, or held <laughs> up at the airport. Mm. A combination of, um, you know, uh, uh, white expats who are willing to spend $25 on a pint of beer. So that's one side of it. And that, that's probably quite a, a nice place to be if, if you're in that situation. And by contrast, there's these workers who are shipped in from the subcontinent, from Bangladesh, from India, especially who work, who are, I don't want to say slave labour, that might be stretching the friendship a little bit with um, what, the, what the people do there, but labour camps, uh, and they work six days a week. It's punishing hours. They're working in the heat of day, building these skyscrapers and God knows what else. And the, the idea that they'd have enough money to even access these cricket games is, is fanciful. They, they're able to maybe buy one ticket to one game a year. Um, so, you know, sitting out in the sun in 40 degrees in Dubai watching Australia play Pakistan in, a, in an attritional test match, you feel like, probably wouldn't be the game they would choose. So there are other factors, economic factors, behind why you didn't see, mm. uh, you know, highly attended test matches. <laughs> mm. So it's the opposite of the Sydney test when you go there and you see all your mates that went to private schools and you're wearing polos. <laughs> so, not that match day yeah well, that, that, well, well no that's what you see after after hours so there's this uh, in the UAE their, their holy day is the Friday uh, and those who don't who aren't um, participating in the religious ceremonies on that day um, they all get on the gas at this thing known as brunch so brunch for reasons that aren't entirely clear to me um, it happens at night or, or can happen in the afternoon I don't think they fundamentally understand what brunch means but anyway and what that is is an all you can drink a thought <laughs> Um, which starts, um, and uh, you have like a specified window of four hours where you can sink as much piss as you want, and it's all free. And it's like going back to university O week every Friday, and it's you know usually typically these wealthy expats who take full advantage. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's uh, that's probably where more you're um, where you're exchanging what school you went to, uh, and you know, um, t telling people you'll catch up soon, knowing full well you won't see them again until you're standing over. <laughs> barrel of the Sydney members 12 months from there. <laughs> uh, we, we, we're a bit out of time here, Colo, but can you just give us a bit of insight uh, into, you know, how the, the, the players and the Aussie staff, I mean, the CA camp was thinking and feeling over there in the UAE? I mean, I'm sure the series will be kind of reasonably quickly forgotten by all outside those who actually make, mm. a, make money off it professionally. I mean, you know, what, what, what were they thinking about the series itself? You would have been so close to them because there were so few other people around. Um, you know, did, did you sort of glean anything around the way they were viewing the series? I think they'll take a lot more from Dubai than they would have lost from Abu Dhabi. That is to say, that felt like a turning point after a disastrous 2018 South Africa, what happened in England. So that, that they were able to pull off quite a memorable moment for the right reasons. I think we'll, we'll have a, a bit of a lasting effect that they'll have some belief that with an inexperienced side without Smith and Warner that they can do... Uh, special things it'll it'll take a while before they're anywhere near that strength um again because who knows what'll happen when smith and warner are available again for selection early next year mm -hmm. um but you you know your theory on the great cricketer that if it doesn't happen in australia then it didn't happen does hold fairly true uh, it'll, it'll all be dictated by uh, what happens in adelaide in the first test match in in six weeks time as to how the public perceive them going forward and i think they know that as well in their heart of hearts um you know a, a test series happening well off Broadway um, against Pakistan at just at the end of the footy season during the trade period indeed which has become mm. such a juggernaut it was never going mm. to be um, you know uh, occupying the front of people's attention so yeah all told there's some fairly concerning signs about the batting list but hasn't there been for the last five years anyway so mm. situation relatively normal there and I think on the basis that they managed to draw a test match expectations have been just exceeded even if they did get absolutely hammered in, in the second match so 
yeah, that's probably fairly inconclusive and sitting on the fence, but that's my job as a radio commentator to <laughs> not offend anybody. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your voice again, Colo. Um, we entirely appreciate you as a uh, newly minted media mogul coming on um, this you know, kind of show where my son's yelling well, in the background every two seconds. But um, it is a, it's a real pleasure having you on, mate. When, when are people going to catch you back in Australia? I'm back in time for the first test match. I'm off to the Women's World T20 in the Caribbean for a couple of weeks, in a couple of weeks from now, and then, and then back into the, uh, the Australian cycle. So I will say, though, about your podcast, that through the winter, you know, travelling around the UK and all the rest of it, I went to a wedding in the west of England, so probably four or five hours out of London, and this bloke piles up to me uh, at, at the after party, and he clearly recognised what I did or who I was or whatever, but nothing for what I do professionally. He's like, you're that like from the great cricketer podcast that goes on there from time to time and all he wanted to do was talk about chopping and circuiting and what you blokes are like so um so needless to say yeah. I, I, I i i defer i defer to your status as the big dogs in the room i hope you just brushed him and looked over his shoulder and walked over to the canapes because that you don't want to be engaging with that kind of bloke. Uh, ever looked for a new club online have things ever gotten so grim that you'd consider moving interstate or even overseas just to continue your fledgling amateur career in a slightly higher grade? Bravago compares prospective clubs from various competitions. Grade cricket, shire stuff, even yuck park cricket, where the home ground has a tree on the field. Over 10,000 different clubs across the world, ranked according to criteria such as professionalism, pitches and tea spreads. Instead of searching for hours, Bravago makes it easy for you to find the perfect club in minutes. Just go to our website, Type in where you want to go, when you want to go, and press search. It's that simple. We don't care why you want to go, how old you are, what you averaged last season, or whatever else you're running away from. We just want to help you get there. Best of all, Bravago even allows you to search based on how shit the blokes are. Filter according to Spirit of Cricket rankings in order to find the club with the least amount of self-respect, and therefore the best cultural fit. With just a couple of extra clicks, you can get a real insider's look at your potential new club. Will a good-looking 30 get you instantly promoted up a grade? Was their club song penned by alcoholics? Is their major sponsor an Asian massage parlour? How many used syringes are typically found in the grandstand on a Saturday morning? Has the club president previously been indicted for tax evasion? And so much more. And that's how you can be sure you find your ideal club in time for the new season. New club? Hi there, Ian Higgins here. You might recognize my voice from this exact podcast. Right now, we have got the Jason Gillespie interview coming up, uh, which we were extremely excited to land. And we just want to let you know that we are aware of the audio issues that are in this interview. Unfortunately, the line wasn't terrific with Jason, um, and there is a lot of background noise as well. So, I know that can be annoying um, as a podcast fan myself, uh, so I just want to let you know um, that we are working in some difficult parameters at the very uh, at the present time, but just to stick with us during this process because we're working so hard to make this show better and better every single week and have done for the last couple of years as well. So um, what we have managed to salvage here is uh, is a really good chat with a, with a, a test legend, uh, to be honest, and a terrific coach as well. So I'll leave you to it. Pez, take it away. Boys, I've wanted this interview for a very long time. Um, I've, uh, I've watched you have. with jealousy. I have. I've watched with jealousy as, as this man's appeared on a number of other podcasts. I thought, why not us, mate? Why not us? But the day has come. And I would like to do one of these overly indulgent introductions because, the, you know, as he will know and we all know, your numbers define you. Um, you're nothing but numbers in cricket. So let me read um, these babies out to you. 71 test matches for Australia. 259 wickets at 26.13, innings best of 7 for 37, match best of 9 for 80, 613 first-class wickets at 26.98. In football parlance, he's won everything there is to win. Highest test score, of course, 201 not out. But like all people who comfortably make Australia's good blokes 11, there's far more to him than that, and we're going to chat about it. Uh, It's an honour and a privilege to welcome Jason Gillespie onto the show. How are you, Dizzy? Oh, very well. It's a lovely introduction, and uh, no, thank you for that. It's a very, very kind words. 
So I'll be extremely polite <laughs> to begin with, and it's going to degenerate. And I apologise. So Dizzy, um, but first up, we always we always ask uh, start by asking, you know, what grade cricket means to you. But then I saw you'd broken into the Aussie side at twenty one, so I presume you've never played it in your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, uh, I played for Adelaide Cricket Club in um, in the grade competition in uh, in South Australia in Adelaide and. Uh, no, I, I absolutely loved it. I, I've still got some uh, some very good mates uh, at Adelaide Career Club. Uh, keep in touch with, with a lot of those guys. Uh, look, I, I'm a big advocate for for grade cricket. It's uh, it gave um, you know a lot of guys I played uh, came through and played cricket with um, gave us a start really. Um, you know, I, I, I never forget my first game. We played uh, Woodville uh, District Cricket Club here in Adelaide and. Uh, you know, I played my first game. I got promoted. It was the final game of the season. The A grade couldn't qualify for the finals. Um, finished mid-table <laughs> for the year. First and, uh, Dropped the first grade. Dropped the first grade. And uh, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd played in the third grade side, in the C grade, and bowled eight overs, none for 50, I think. And uh, and I, I think I impressed the, the A grade captain uh, at training one day. I just came in and ran in off, my, off a big run-up and just tried to bowl as fast as I could and and I think he, he felt we probably didn't have much to lose, and uh, so threw me threw me into the A grade for the final game of the season, and um, yeah, and I, I got a much to my dad's uh, um, opposition. Dad thought I wasn't quite ready for it, and was pleased with the club, but not not uh, not pick me, and uh, and and so I ended up opening the bowling, got a wicket my first over, wicket maiden, and uh, my father said, well. I know nothing about cricket. I'm going to keep out of Jason's cricket career from now on. And, uh, and just, yeah. <laughs> my dad did the same thing. He stayed well away from um, from all of my games um, as well. But um, I never never played for Australia. So, um, does he? I want to, I want to ask you because um, I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't be the first person to say this to you, but there's. To my mind, anyway, there's just so many similarities with you and, and young Pat Cummins, you know, sort of that languid action, just great athleticism as well. And obviously, um, the downsides of that is of a number of injuries over the years. But were you, were, you, uh, were you sort of always a tear away quick? Did you always have this sort of amazing athleticism? Like, what I'm asking is, is there hope for people who aren't genetically gifted? <laughs> um, well, well, you are genuinely the first person that's ever said that I've, I'm athletic and I've got athleticism because uh, I feel like a bit of a dinosaur out there. Uh, I find that hard to believe that no one's ever said it to you. No, no, there's a reason for that. I had two left feet, but it's very kind of you to say. But, um, but look, I look, I've I've, been, I've met, I've heard that before. People have mentioned, and I've sort of watched Pat Cummins' bowling action and. And, and I, I kind of can see a couple of, of similarities, I suppose. Um, you know, and, and being a coach, and I start to look at things, um, you know, through a coach's eye, and you know, some of the things that, um, some of the injuries that I had uh, throughout my early days in my career, I, I can see that that Pat's had a couple of those little issues, um, just, just with, the, with the similarity of action. You know, what Pat does is. He, he does uh, his hip rotation. Uh, he, he gets his hips through very quickly, which it's what gives him his pace. To be fair, and you don't want to stop that. But what you want to try and do is is kind of minimise the um, that that rotation, uh, that counter rotation in the in the torso. And um, you know that's something that I I was challenged with throughout my career. And uh, you know I think that as his uh, uh, as his career goes and he gets a bit stronger. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think he'll he'll be absolutely fine. I I, I can completely see Pat Cummins having a, a very long and very distinguished career for Australia. Dizzy, we we have to quickly on that note just talk about Muhammad Abbas. I mean, a nibbling medium pacer just tore Australia apart. You know, with the <laughs> inconceivable approach of bowling cerebral 130k nibblers as a once feared <laughs> paceman. How does this sit with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's been a there's been a bit of an obsession with. Uh, with fast bowling, hasn't there? Uh, we hear that in Australian cricket circles. Uh, you know, you hear the terms airspeed and uh, and pace. Which, look, I, I'm not against. I think you know, having having a fast bowler uh, in your ranks, I, I don't think there's much wrong with that. But you know, I, I think there is certain calls. You know, we've seen some really good uh, fast bowlers in, in the recent in recent times in Australian cricket. Probably not given the opportunities that. That potentially they've earned. Um, you know, you just look at you know Trent Copeland's, the the Chad Sayers of this world. Um, 
you know, there is value in that. Um, you know, I can understand the, the mindset of, you know, on, on good surfaces when the ball's not doing a lot. You know, you, you need a point of difference, and that point of difference, as a general rule, is, is speed. Um, but, look, I think there is value in the, in the, the, the Maxi Walker type, um, you know, hard-working medium pacer that, that does a job for the team and, you know, creates a bit of pressure. And, um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm not against that. I, I, I certainly see someone like a Trent Copeland or a Chad Sayers uh, being well in the mix for the Ashes next year. Mm. Um, Nick out Australia as well, medium, medium fast swing bowler. I think these type of bowlers mm. uh, will certainly, well, in my opinion, should come into the reckoning for an Ashes uh, birth, an Ashes tour. Mm. Uh, I'd be pretty disappointed if they, they certainly weren't discussed. It's interesting you mentioned that, Dizzy. I mean, this is a tough interview because you just had such a distinguished career, but um, perhaps people might know less about how well your coaching career is going. I mean, I know I've just come back from a couple of years in London and um, you know, people absolutely, to use an Aussie parlance, froth on you uh, over there and like rightly so. <laughs> you know, 2012. I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're very concerned by that. Sexual, doesn't it? Um, well, I'll carry on. 2012 um, promotion with Yorkshire, 2013. 13, you took them to second in the top tier. 2014, you won their first. Uh, you won the first title, your first title with them. 2015, went back to back with them. You're the coach of Adelaide Strikers. You're now the coach of Sussex, and have had Sussex and have had success with them. Um, I'm just curious. Like we, we've heard JL, um, who's just come into the our mate JL, who we've never met before, um, talk about <laughs> character over cover drives. That kind of being his coaching philosophy, or perhaps that's been bestowed upon him. I mean, what are you about as a coach? What's your coaching philosophy, and you know, how do you coach cricketers at the pro level in 2018? Yeah, look, it's a it's a great question, and every, look, it, I, I'm not sure there's any any right or wrong answer. I, I think I think the key to coaching is, is uh, flexibility and adaptability to the players you're coaching. I, I think you, you coach the person, you, you coach the um, the player. Uh, as opposed to coaching one set technique, and um, because everyone's different, you know, everyone, every bowler that bowls a cricket ball in in, in cricket has uh, slightly different action. Um, you know, every, everyone that bats um, has a, a unique uh, talent for, for them, and they have a technique. You know, I've, I've always, I've often said that the correct technique is the one that works for you, and um, you know, I, I think that the the skill of coaching is to you know, ask a lot of questions um, of, of players, listen to what they say, and and have a have an attitude is of you know I always ask myself a question is how can I help, and what can I do to then think from there really, and you know I I never set me if I was a coach that was sort of stuck in my ways and said everyone would be bowling how I bowl and that worked for me but it, it wouldn't work for pretty much every other bowler uh, so, uh, you know there are coaches that, that do do that um, some batting coaches I know I've, I've observed um, like the co- they, they and you almost see it with new coaches as well they, they coach how they played um, now that might work for someone that plays exactly like you used to play but it won't work for the majority of players. And, you know, I think, you know, I suppose the words I use at the start, that's flexibility and adaptability um, and coaching the individual, um, you know, for me is absolute key. Dizzy, there's a lot of chat at the moment um, and it obviously plays into the culture review that's ongoing around being a good bloke. I mean, Justin Langer just this week said, you know, to his batsman following the second test, you've got to be a good bloke and you've got to score more runs. Now, in the team of the late 90s and 2000s, you had an interesting mix of personalities there. I don't know if they were all good blokes. They were certainly not a homogenous group. I mean, you've got McGrath, The Wars, Warney, Fleming, Haydos, Martin, and all those other names. Um, can you kind of just us through a little bit like, how, I mean, obviously talent alone can get you places, but how did you guys all mix? Because you weren't all the same bloke. No, I mean, I think the question you've got to ask is define what a good bloke is. Um, What's a good bloke? It's our whole show. He's nice to everyone's face and, um, you know, and he's a bit of a suck. I, I don't know. Um, 
What was that dressing room like? I mean, with all those guys in the dressing room, very, very different. What, 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 give us a little sense into the dynamics there. Uh, look, look, there's certainly different characters. And I, I think as a general rule, and I think it happens in most dressing rooms, you, you, you tend to gravitate to, um, you know, especially off-field and away from the game, you, you tend to hang in there. a sectarian divide down the middle of the dressing room like the Protestants versus the Catholic <laughs> didn't seem to affect them on the field it seems like terrible blokes yeah. more well, so we think I want to ask you um, Darren Lehman's obviously um, I've just come out of his job with the, with the Australian side and obviously during a traumatic period as well um, he's a guy that you play with um, for South Australia and also Australia as well. Have you spoken to Darren at, at all? And, and sort of how's he how's he doing post uh, you know leaving the Australian job? Yeah, I've had a couple of chats with Daz. Uh, look, he's one of my best mates, and uh, mm. you know I've, I've learned a lot from Darren uh, over the years. Um, you know, certainly uh, you know from a playing side of view, how to play the game, uh, play the game hard but fair. Um, you know, and you know uh, how to conduct yourself and. Um, you know, him and I are, are great mates. We, we chat um, quite a bit. Uh, look, he, I think it's fair to say he probably he battled a little bit um, in the aftermath of, of everything that went on earlier this year because uh, he, he was in a job he absolutely loved. And, um, you know, and I think his biggest concern was the welfare of um, all the players, but the, the, particularly the, the guys that were affected by, um, by what happened in... Uh, in Cape Town, um, you know, look, we all know that they there were some mistakes made. I think we all mm. see that, we all acknowledge that. But, you know, they're, they're human beings. They're, they're young men. Um, they have made mistakes. They're paying one hell of a price, as must be said, um, mm. um, for, for what's going on. And, and I think Darren's big thing was, is, and it still is, is the welfare of those guys. Um, you know, he, he's a deeply caring person, Darren Lachlan, and, uh, you know, he always had the, the needs and um, best interests of his players at heart. And um, I suppose that's probably what he battled with a little bit, to be fair, in the aftermath of that and in the time. Um, I'm pretty confident he'll get back into coaching uh, at some point. Uh, at time, I think he's taken a bit of a getting involved with, uh, you know, with, the, with the media side of things. But, you know, I think they out in the post and he loves being around cricket um, teams and, you know, I fully expect him to be involved in, uh, in coaching moving forward. Just, just on the, um, all matters coaching, Diz, um, and I'll call you Diz, um, like our, our, quicks, <laughs> our quicks are excellent. I mean, Nathan Lyon's a gem. He'll, he'll go on to at least be the third highest wicket you know, taker in our country's history. Um, but the side, you know, at least the test side, isn't where it wants to be largely off the back of our batting, I think it's fair to say. 
I mean, how would you characterize yep. the state of batting in Australia and, and what would you do about it if you were to um, try and rectify where it's at? Uh, again, very good question. I think you're absolutely spot on. I think the 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 numbers don't really lie. You know, the Australian team just isn't scoring enough runs, uh, in, particularly in the first innings, um, second innings. You know, it, it you know those numbers can get skewed because it, it depends on the state of the game, what, what totals are being chased or, or whatnot. But first innings runs. Um, you know, Australia are just not. You know, I, I don't think it's been a long time since they've consistently been scoring over 300 in the first innings. Um, you know, getting resold for under 250 regularly um, is simply not good enough. Uh, look, I look. And, uh, this may sound a bit brutal towards the selectors and, and cricket Australia, but look, I, I've never liked this. Uh, I, I think what the selectors, in, in essence, have you know maybe unintentionally have created a bit of uh, panic and indecision amongst the batsmen around Australia. Um, and the reason I say that is, you know, you, you hear all these t- this terminology, horses for courses, and um, we're going to pick players for this and that, and, you know, they're, they're chopping and changing the batting order a lot. Um, what we want is, in elite cricket, uh, elite, uh, with our elite batsmen, we want adaptable players. Um, we don't want adapted players who can only play on one surface on, against a Kookaburra cricket ball when it's flat. Right? Um, we want our players to be able to um, face the swinging ball. We want them to face the spinning ball. We want them to be able to face the spinning ball on wickets that are carrying through, wickets that maybe don't carry through the keeper so much. Um, you know, and I'll use an example of the of you know, there's a lot of talk about our batting in on the subcontinent. Um, you know, I remember uh, re- in recent times there was talk of Usman Khawaja not. Um, you know, we heard this through Cricket Australia channels, through selection, selectors, and that uh, has, his record in Asia isn't great. And uh, I think there was a tour or two he wasn't selected for. You know, what the selectors have got to be careful with, what Cricket Australia have got to be careful with, is what they're um, implying but not saying. And the interpretation that a player would get is. Oh, they're not back to four runs there. They don't rate me. They don't think I can play spin, mm. um, and which contradicts what we're trying to, what you're trying to do with players and give them support and belief. Is that we trust you to go out there, and whatever conditions are confronted that you're confronting, we back you to be successful uh, in those conditions. And I think just with Usman Khawaja is a great example. Just in in this last um, series. He's shown a bit of back, a bit of support, and he's responded. Um, now, I, what I haven't seen as an outsider is enough of that. Enough of the selectors saying, "Right, we're going to back you, back you guys in um, in all conditions. We believe that you can do the job." We know that there might be some ups and downs at times, but over time, we believe you're the right man for the job. We're going to back you, play you, and support you. Uh, I think a lot of people who are listening to the show would be saying, uh, here, here, um, Dizzy is just in, let's entirely um, flip. Thank, it's just my son going absolutely nuts here. Thanks. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, we're just going to flip it all now and just get a little bit silly. We're going to do throwdowns. Uh, so we basically yep. asked you a question where the joke's wrapped up in the question and you probably can't say much, but, um, so it's a bit intelligent. But um, <laughs> we're, we're going to do it anyway because people, people say that they want it. So look, I'll, I'll kick off. Um, Jason, can you um, please explain to us how it's possible to have been a fearsome fast bowler and arguably the most aggressive, successful team of all time who could crank it up to late 140s and intimidate people, funny, popular, respected, um, but also be a good person, an educator of young men with well-considered progressive politics? <laughs> well, well. In my defence, you know, Damien Fleming and I are, are good mates, and we often talk about um, getting good blokes into uh, into good positions in Australian uh, in Australian cricket. You know, we're, we're chipping away and getting the good blokes into coaching positions. Mm. Um, I know Damien's very happy that uh, Channel Seven now are. Uh, you know, seeing the light and getting good blokes like himself and uh, Glenn McGrath um, <laughs> into prominent um, commentary positions. Um, so, it, it, look, it, look, the cat's out of the bag. You know, the fast bowlers are good blokes. They're smart. You know, what would you rather be? A bloke hurling down 150 k's an hour at a batter or the bloke facing it? You know, we're the smart ones, mate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, very well said, Diz. Now, speaking about the nation's recent batting collapses, Coach Langer revealed that he spoke regularly with golfer Lindsay Stephen for direction, quoting his view, I'd rather have a guy with a good technique who's a bit softer mentally than a guy who's really mentally tough with a really bad technique. Now, do you think Australia's woes are a psychological issue or because our coach is taking advice on batting from a golfer? <laughs> I think probably uh, the fact that the coach is taking advice from a golfer. Um, I look, look, I, look, I, I, I think uh, there's a combination of, of things. And I, I think that it's the, you know, what you want to do, you want, as I mentioned earlier, you want adaptable players. Um, and you've got to create the environment in which players are able to learn, uh, fail, and learn from those failures, and then uh, hopefully um, continue on and kick on and, uh, and learn from those mistakes and, and apply them w- through practice uh, for better improvement. Dizzy, it's, uh, it's commonly advisable, as we know, to either pretend to be injured or blame the sun for any drop catch during a game. Do you think it was slightly excessive not only to break your own league, but also Captain Steve Waugh's nose when spilling a relatively simple chance in Sri Lanka in 1999? Well, I did take it to the extreme um, because I was a bit embarrassed about missing the catch. Um, (laughs) But certainly, it's a bit like a fast bowler. Whenever they get smacked through the covers before, they scratch the uh, the front. uh, (laughs) Um, I was certainly guilty of that. Um, But look, certainly... uh, yeah, I, I can assure you it's um, you know it's a bit like running out your captain uh, when he's on fifty when you're batting as night watchman in your in your what turned out to be your final test match. You don't run out your, your captain. It's like you don't uh, break your captain's post. So not a great career move. I'm, I'm thankful you've uh, mentioned your final test, Dizzy, because I know you get questions like this all the time. But it, it is contemporarily like relevant like can you tell us genuinely how euphoric you are with every australian batting collapse in asia given that it actually increases the value of your double ton <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely um, you know, because, look i it's it's hilarious i see you know that, that all these batsmen go out and bat um, you know mm. they're facing the spinners. You know they're, they're playing. They're playing on wickets that are turning a little bit, maybe bouncing a little bit. You know, <laughs> like absolute snake pit in Chittagong. Um, <laughs> one of those that, that you know it, it uh, seemed the, it was overcast conditions. It swung, but it was also one of those rare surfaces. Um, you know, day one in Asia where it, it's absolutely mm. turning and bouncing um, from the get go. It was an absolute snake pit. Um, you've just got to be, you know, really physical. Uh, Dizzy, thanks, uh, thanks very much for enduring that. We'd love to chat with you during the summer because there are so many more interesting things um, to talk to you about. You're clearly a multifaceted, almost polymath of a cricketer, I dare say. Um, many strings to your bow, but yeah, thanks for enduring us for that period as well, mate. And um, we'll catch up with you during the summer. That pleasure, gents. Keep up the good work, yeah. Hashtag AskTGC. Favorite time of the week for. Well, it depends what the questions are like, to be fair. Um, a little bit slow on the old hashtag AskTGCs this week, so if you've got a question, use the hashtag AskTGC or slide into the DMs if you want to win the um, apparently um, you know, short story prize that we hand out each week. Um, Daniel Faulkner says, Is it acceptable for a seam bowl to give a batsman a send-off when the batsman was out-stumped? No. I mean, absolutely not. There's nothing more humiliating and embarrassing for a seam bowler to, to take a, you know, a wicket stumped. I'm not talking about the one where the keeper just underarms it back and, and clips the bales and mm. everyone goes up. Like, mm. literally, the keeper up to the stumps. You should be acting sheepish, mm. embarrassed, you know, mm. oh, you know, I've done my back, lads. Mm. Like, do anything you can to mm. you know, offset the eternal embarrassment that you'll mm. face. Mm. Pez, let me... I want to, put, I want well, to reframe like the question. ironic... Sorry, sorry, Pez. Sorry, mate. I, I was, I was just want to reframe the question to you, and I want to give you a scenario. So, um, let's mm-hmm. say Chad Says is playing his first Test match. Right, the keeper was up to the stumps. He's opening the bowling for Australia. He's on zero Test wickets. His first Test wicket is a stumping. Does it count? <laughs> is it his first spell? <laughs> yes, it is. The new pill. It's a new pill. He's got the new ball. New he's ball. The new ball. Pain's up to the stumps. stumps. No. Yep. No, can't have it. So, <laughs> so he's like strangled him down the leg side, like he's gone for a leg glance and he's kind of just drifted his foot out of the crease. Or is it like just a... You'd hope so, because otherwise he's walked at him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keepers up to the stumps and he's walked at him. Yeah. I mean, I like the thing is, if you're open to like um, 
like ironic or like um, kind of like self um, sledging uh, send offs, then maybe it could work because mm. that you know if I was bowling seam up and then I got somebody stumps down the leg side or something like that, the send off would be something like like how are you getting out to that? Why are you out <laughs> to this? How you how have I dismissed you under the laws of the game? And there are ways. <laughs> Um, this one has come in late, so I'm going to read it off my phone, so apologies uh, in advance. James Foster. <clears throat> uh, I was on a night out in Manly, and me and my mate were trying to find a place to go after the Ivanhoe. Tempted by the prospect of a kebab, I was reluctant when he suggested going into the old Manly boat shed. After chatting to a bloke out the front and then showing our ID to the bouncers, we were abruptly informed about the $10 entry, immediately refusing to pay up, yet willing yet still willing to venture for some late-night food, the bloke that we had spoken to offered and paid for our entry. Stoked at the gesture, I went down to the bar where my mate told me that the bloke was Steve O'Keefe. Running back up the stairs, I wanted to thank him properly and confirm who he was. After modestly receiving my drunken appraisal, he politely answered some of my idiotic questions, like how did you get so quickly after the Shield game in Adelaide yesterday? He responded by saying how amazing planes are nowadays. After wishing him all the best with his efforts to get back into the Australian team, I returned back to the bar. About 10 minutes later, Sock came down to the bar. He was accompanied by none other than Michael Slater, who was wearing a white V-neck T-shirt. We ended up getting a photo with the two legends. Despite this great story, I was left wondering a few things that I hoped you could answer. Is going out in Manly an easy way to meet your sporting heroes? Is 48 too old for Slats to still be having a night out? Do other cross-generational players have nights out together? Is it time for Sydney to get rid of the lockout laws? Should Slats own a tight V-neck t-shirt? How big are state players' contracts if they can afford to pay for, mit- pay for multiple people on a night out? Is it time for the grey cricketer to get Sock on- onto the show? Already had him. Uh, would this story have any appeal to someone living outside of Sydney's North Shore? Almost definitely not. Any further comments would be greatly appreciated. And attached is the photo. It looks like four blokes having a great night out in Manly. <laughs> Doesn't it? And how uh, good does Michael Slater look at the age of 48 in that white V-neck T-shirt? <laughs> glistening tan. We'll have, to po- we'll have to post it. We'll have to post that up uh, on the socials. And with, just with that question, with should the Slater be wearing of, a V-neck? No, we won't do that. I mean, yeah, he goes, mine to the answer to that is uh, yes, no, yes, yes, yes. Um, more than you'd know on the state contracts. Have already had okay on and no. <laughs> Keep sending your questions in, though. Um, all right. It's been a fantastic show. I want to thank our special guest, Jason Gillespie, and, of course, Adam Collins as well. I also want to thank our producer, Shano, uh, for the voiceovers and the voiceover production work. He's the guy who does our fake ads. And then Adrian Lung as well for the music. Just before we go, like us, subscribe us, rate us on iTunes, leave comments like one person who said, and I quote, I thought this was a good show, like a nice-looking 30 before chipping it to mid-off. This shows great promise without really grasping the responsibility of the situation. Please do like and subscribe to this because we want to really take down NAB Trade Radio and, of course, the Howie Games. It's been a fantastic show. Thanks as ever for joining us. We'll see you next week.